So there was something that uh, God dropped on me almost a month ago now, and um, it was it was it was kind of a significant little revelation that like I was, I'd never seen it that way before. And sometimes God drops stuff on you just for you. Let me correct that. Most of the time, he dropped that on you because you needed to hear it. And um, I was like, okay, God, I'm just going to hold on to that and process that and and lean into that. And then Pastor Marion goes and starts preaching on generosity for two weeks. I may have been blessed by the last couple weeks of getting a new perspective, giving from the heart. Amen. And... um, and I did, I just kind of wrestled with God about this. I was like, I don't know, God. Like, I was like, I asked Katie, I was like, so what do you, I shared kind of this thought, and I was like, what do you think? And she was like, well, what's the Holy Spirit say? I was like, fine. <laughs> so me and the Holy Spirit had some little conversation. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, so God's leading one out over my resistance. And here's why. Because I wrote in my journal a question. And this was the question. What is the greatest block to generosity in the body of Christ? And this is what I wrote. Could be wrong, could be right, but this is what I wrote. Felt like Jesus was kind of having this conversation with me, so. I wrote this. People desire to be generous. How many desire to be generous if so say yes? They desire to be generous, but they believe they are unable because of a lack of resources. And they have crazy limiting beliefs around money. All the scarcity thinking is crippling the body of Christ from fulfilling obedience and our destiny. Now, I don't know about anybody else. But what I just wrote there described me 100%. Because I've always desired to be generous. In fact, when Katie and I came together, my wife started to teach me more about what generosity looks like. Because um, I thought I was pretty good generous. And then, like, she's crazy generous. And uh, so I started to learn more about it. But I've always had that desire. Let me test my conclusion here. How many of you... Desire to be generous on every occasion. Every occasion. I need you to shout yes if that's your answer. Yes. Okay. I mean, don't lie to me. But if, if it's yes, I want you to shout yes. How many of you would like to write big old checks to support ministry and mission? If so, say yes. Huh. Okay. How many of you right now have a ministry project that you've dreamed? about financing. Yeah? It'd be fun to go around the room and ask you what it is. Because you want to, but maybe you haven't quite been able to. How many of you have had a moment, maybe even recently, where you desired to meet someone's need? Maybe someone you know and love, or maybe it was a complete stranger, and you desired to meet a need, but you weren't able to. Yeah. So it seems that, like, maybe I wasn't too far off in that conclusion. Now, here's the thing. 
Everything I'm going to preach today, the backdrop to it is what Pastor Mary ministered the last two weeks, okay? So I'm not going to try and balance the two sides of the equation. Here's the first side that he hit. Um, out of 2 Corinthians 8.2, the Macedonian church, it says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Because giving is not about an amount. You just heard Meg say it. It's not about an amount. Giving comes from where? The heart, and it's unto the Lord. Generosity can look like Swiss cake rolls that your parents loaded you up with. Generosity can look a whole lot of different ways, but it is about the heart. And she referenced again, pastor preached it a couple weeks ago, about the widow giving the two mites. It was all she had, and Jesus stopped the whole show and said, everybody look at this, because that's generosity. So generosity comes from the heart, amen? That is 100% true. That is the foundation, and uh, that's one side of the equation. Maybe not one side of the equation. It's the foundation of generosity. But there is another piece to the truth, and that's what I want to push in today a little bit more on, because the other side is, It is our birthright to walk in the blessing and abundance of God. It's all right, you'll catch up. Here we go. God wants to bless us abundantly so that we can be generous on every occasion. Let's just not, this is not my opinion. Let's look at the Bible. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap, what? Sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap. Each of you should give, Meg just read this one, what you decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In verse eight, and God is able, everybody say he's able. I should have said everybody sing it because that sounded better. (laughs) He's able, he is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So this this is an important point here, and I'm just going to read it. Generosity does not require abundance. It can require Swiss cake rolls. Okay? <laughs> Thank you, Meg, for going to keep coming back to that. But it can be correlated to abundance as it is in these verses. Because when he says, so sparingly, also reap sparingly, and so generously, also reap generously, is he talking about financially large and small amounts? Yes or no? Now, it's not just financially, it's in every area. So if you sow a whole lot of love, you're going to get a whole lot of love, right? right? If you sow a whole lot of friendship, you're going to get a whole lot of friendship. If you sow sow a whole lot of serving, you're going to get a whole lot of serving. If you sow a whole lot of money, you're going to get a whole lot of... I'm just reading the Bible. I know, this this is why 
I was like, all right, God, I don't know, should I preach this message? Because not everybody's ready for this message. But I, I kind of, as I was praying before service, I was like, I feel like this is the group that needed to hear this message. Like, you the faithful on Thanksgiving weekend. Some of you guests, like, hello, welcome. We're glad you're here. But this is a message every believer needs to hear. So these verses describe God's design for generosity. We give from the heart as unto the Lord. We give generously or abundantly. I mean, the first step is the first step. We give from the heart. Everybody say the heart. We preached that for two weeks, Pastor Marion did, okay? Then we give generously and abundantly, and I love this, we give all the time with no limitation. Who wants that in your giving? If so, say yes! Well, there's a path to that according to Scripture. So, here's the thing. For most in the body of Christ, many of us here, what I just described, given generously and given all the time, without limitation, that does not describe our generosity. Now again, you got two mites you can give. You got Swiss cake rolls you can give because it's about obedience from the heart. I'm just saying there's another piece to this that how many wanna write big checks to the kingdom? How many know there's people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's going to take resources in order to deliver that to them? And since the Bible talks about this a whole lot, I think it's okay for us to talk about it. So when it comes to generosity, we want to, but we feel restricted by our resources. So how do we get to the other side? So this is where I'm gonna go to these verses. Philippians 4 is where I'm gonna go. <coughs> um, and you might not see the connections 100% right away to this whole generosity thought, but by the end, you're gonna be very clear on this. And by the way, um, I'm not gonna rush here, and I may read a lot because God just kind of downloaded a whole lot of this to me. And it's kind of fresh, and I don't wanna mess it up. And I know this is a topic that uh, some, nobody here, can be easily offended with. And so I wanna quote a lot of scripture. I wanna be careful with what I say. Um, hopefully I won't mess it up and God gets all the glory. So Philippians four, we're gonna talk about the secret of being content. Everybody say the secret of being content. Um, now, there, there was a book out a while ago called The Secret. This stuff, the Bible secret of being content, this is the real deal. Everybody said the real deal. So Philippians 4, starting in verse 11, says, I am not saying this because I'm need. I am in need. He's talking about an offering, right, with the church. And he's saying, hey, you should give. And he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances I know what it is to be in need. Anybody know what that is? Yeah. Anybody, okay, just checking. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, 
whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul says he learned the secret. Well, what is the secret? It's revealed in the very next verse. What's the secret to being content? He's saying, I've learned it. I've learned it. Well fed and hungry. Okay, great, Paul, tell us what the secret is. Here's the secret. Verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That all this, I can do all this through him that gives me strength. All this is what he just talked about in the two verses prior. I can do all this. I can be content in plenty. I can be content and want. I can be content whatever my circumstances. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So there's three components to this secret. Three absolutely essential components. You can write them down. Component number one is this. I must do my part. That verse says, I can do all this. It doesn't say God can do. It doesn't say God's going to do it for you. It doesn't say you can prime ship it to your doorstep. (laughs) Who can do it? No, no, no. Who can do it? You can. You can do all this. God's not going to do it for you. God is not going to activate this secret in your life for you. You have to activate it for yourself. Everybody say, I can. There is a power in every believer that most believers are not fully exercising. And uh, a verse that we've quoted a lot in the last couple years, Ephesians 3.20, out of the Passion Translation, it says, (coughs) never doubt. Everybody say, never doubt. Never doubt God's mighty power to work, where? In you, everybody say in me. In you and accomplish all this. There's that phrase again, isn't that interesting? I can do all this. Then it just says, never doubt God's power to work in you and accomplish all this, same language. He will achieve infinitely more than his greatest promise in the Bible that you've ever read. No, no, he says he will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes him, constantly energizes the the ministry team, the pastor, the worship team, Constantly energizes who? You. You. Me. That's a whole lot of power, folks, that God has placed on the inside of us. I can do all things. I've got to recognize that there is a part for me to play. To to activate this secret of being content. How many want to be content no matter what's happening in your life? You're not. Now we're off notes. All right. You're not going to be content if you spend all day scrolling social media, comparing yourself to everyone else. Like, you can do that, but it ain't going to lead to contentedness. You're not going to be content spending more than you make. You're not going to be content focusing on getting sick and letting fear overcome and overtake you. 
I mean, you can do a whole lot of things. Ecclesiastes, the Bible says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. There are some things that are beneficial to you walking in contentedness that you have to choose to do. You want to walk in? Access the word of God. Speak the word of God. Worship. Pray. Fellowship with other believers. Get yourself in church. Serve other people. It's not about you. Look at somebody tell them it's not about you. There are things that you can do that I can't do for you that lead to contentedness. Everybody say, I can. The greatest power he's given us is our ability to choose. We can choose to access contentedness or we can choose to allow that power to lie dormant on the inside of us. It's your choice. How many want contentedness? Say, I choose to be content. Some of you are waiting. I mean, I'm going to get into this. Some of you are waiting on circumstances to change for you to get happy. (laughs) That's not how it works. You get to choose. You get to position yourself. You get to trust him to activate that promise you just got to take back your power come on everybody put your hands over your head everybody say take it back it's kind of a thing for me if you're a guest so it's kind of how we roll around we we, we won't we don't let the power of god lay dormant on the inside of us playing the victim acting powerless The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living on the inside of me. Sometimes I just have to remind myself to take it back. Number two, essential component to to activating this contentedness in our life. I must trust God beyond my circumstances. Specifically, trust him beyond whether I'm in want or whether I'm in plenty. This is where this message takes a little twist because of all the times that I've heard these verses, specifically verse 11 and 12. I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or in plenty or whatever my circumstances, whether I'm hungry or not. Like every time, every single time I've heard that message, do you know what the emphasis has been? Being content in want. Being content in lack. Being content in struggle, in challenge, in those moments when you feel overwhelmed. Every single time. These are quoted. They, they are lifted up as a beacon of hope when you're going through hard things. You know what? You don't need things to change. You can just hang on to Jesus. Learn the secret of being content because Jesus is enough. Is that true, yes or no? Yes. Is Jesus enough? Yes. I mean, the, the, when I say I love how God orchestrates things from Meg's offering to the last song that they sang, 
when everything comes crumbling down, when crashing down, I'm going to crash into you. I mean, that's the first time I heard it, but it was good. I liked it. How many of you have had the moment when everything came crashing down and you had to crash into him? Thank God, right? Because in those moments, you don't have a plan B. (laughs) We're so good in our society about having plan Bs. My dad, uh, who's been a pastor for 48 years, I think, uh, retired a few years ago. He told this story about an evangelist who was coming to town um, to preach on evangelism. And he said, the only way I'll come in is if we do uh, evangelism during the day before I do the workshop at night. Preacher was like, great. So they jump in the car, they load up the 15-passenger van, and they start driving in through town. And, and the guy takes them past the low-income area of town, the slums, the, takes them past that. And then he takes them past the suburbs, middle class, and he takes them to the most affluent area of the city. And the pastor's like, well, I thought we were doing outreach. And he said, listen, the people in the low-income area, they know they need God. The people in the middle-class neighborhoods, they've become comfortable with God. I'm going to let that sink. He said, it's the people over here that are affluent that they don't think they need him. You want to do evangelism? Go to the people who don't think they need him. So when we look at this and we realize that the emphasis has been so much on living in lack and living in want and living in difficult circumstances. And, and those, how many have had those times and it was hard, but you were stronger in your faith and you trusted God more on the other side of it, right? Okay, so just because something good can come out of those situations doesn't mean it was God's best design. Because John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus come to give life and life more abundantly. John 10, 10 line, my pastor's theology, God good, devil bad, all right? So just because good things came out of it and we learned to trust God through it doesn't mean that God created all that stuff and he was like trying to keep you humble and keep you in lack and keep you hungry. But the Bible says what the devil intended for evil, God will bring good out of it. Romans 8, 28, all things, how many things? All things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, What was it, John 12, 16? Take heart, because in this world, you're going to have, you're going to have what? Trouble. Everybody say trouble. Well, then he says, take heart, because I've overcome the world. So I'm not saying that bad things aren't going to happen. I'm not saying that you don't need some low moments so that you learn to trust God. Here's what God showed me. A lot of Christians have learned to trust God in want, but they are scared to trust him in plenty. We'll learn to trust him in want, 
In fact, several of the songs that we sang this morning were very much that, that flow, like that last one especially. We've got to, lo- we've, listen, the world likes to make things either or, and more often than not, it's both and. Do we need to learn to trust him in want? If so, say yes. But does the Bible say that we can, and maybe should, learn to trust him in plenty? But we're not preaching that one as much. Because we have a tendency to almost glorify living in lack with a false sense of piety. I'm holier because I can trust God when I don't have it. Now, like, I'm a Meg. There's been plenty of times where I ain't have it to give. And like you're pulling change out of your pocket and you're doing the whole in the car, like your butt sticking out the car, like looking for the change. Whether that was for an offering or to get diapers for the kids. Been there, right? And I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, I'll take that back. I made some pretty stupid decisions that may mess some stuff up. Because I can do that, right? Point number one. I wish I would have made some different decisions. But did I learn to trust God more? You better believe it. So God can bring good out of it. But we need to learn not either or, living in want or living in plenty, learning contentedness. See, some people say that this is kind of the way this is taught. To find contentedness, they act as if it is a life sentence to living in want. But if my heart is safe, If my heart is surrendered to the Lordship of God, which we're we're gonna get to that a little bit more, then my life, then my heart's safe, so plenty's not gonna, living in plenty is not going to destroy me. I can be content in plenty. Everybody say, I choose content. And that's what it means to trust him beyond our circumstances. Beyond our circumstances. I'm not going to glorify lack. I'm not going to glorify plenty. I'm just going to trust God, period. But let me amplify this a little bit more because there are challenges and lessons to learn when we're living in want. I think, how many have learned some of those lessons? Okay. Just a few that I jotted down, not an exhaustive list. We learn to overcome fear. Because when you don't know how you're going to put food on the table, that's pretty scary. When you don't know if you're going to be able to keep your house, that's pretty scary. When you don't know how you're going to be able to pay your bills or how you're going to be able to get the medical treatment you need, that's pretty scary. And when we're living in want, we've got to learn to trust. Uh, Oftentimes, we we have to overcome, we've got to let go of anger. Anybody shake your fist at God? I mean, you won't get struck by lightning or anything. (laughs) Like, God, I told you what I needed. Like you promised. I did this for a lot of years. I was a pastor and I was building the house of God and how can you let your houses be built up and the house of God lay in waste? I'm like, I'm never gonna do that. I'm gonna build the house of God. And I was like, hello. <laughs> you, you, you help a brother out. So I had to let go of my expectations not being met. Anybody been there? A couple others. We got to learn to let go of a scarcity mindset. 
I mean, I could preach for a long time there. We'll come around to that. How about pride? I mean, know some rich people that are prideful, right? I mean, know some poor people that they're more prideful? Because we take pride in it. We got to learn to get over that. We got to learn to be like Jesus. The temptation of self-reliance, forgetting our source. Interestingly, that's a challenge of living in plenty and a challenge of living in want. Because when you're plan A and plan B and plan C doesn't work out, guess what you got to learn to do? I don't know, maybe trust God? I'm pretty much an expert on this point, so anybody else? Anybody with me? Okay, just checking. Recovering. We got to learn to trust God when things don't work out the way we thought, the way we prayed, or the way we desired. Those are some pretty big lessons to learn when we're living in want, living in need. But there are also some lessons living in want and need that they don't just keep you there, but they lead you to a place of empowerment. Lessons like refusing to settle or live in mediocrity. Kind of touched on this a moment ago. We stop playing the victim and acting powerless. We, yeah, that was pretty good. We take it back. Some, some of you, I love you. You need to let go of blame as your primary explanation for your current financial situation. Point one, who does it? I can do. Nobody else is gonna do it for you. God's not gonna do it for you. You you have to say, I'm gonna access the power of being content by choosing to do the things that God's word says and by choosing to trust him beyond circumstances, in lack or in plenty. Blame is not an option. You might hang out there longer than you'd like if you keep holding on to that explanation. We can't blame the government, can't blame the economy. Please, oh my goodness. Do you know how many people are blaming COVID? Don't be one of them. Don't be one of them. You're a king's kid. You were designed to rise above. You're not a victim. You're not powerless. Look at somebody say, you got power. We also learn to seek the Lord. Because how many of you know when you're in living in lack and want? A lot of time you feel aimless, powerless, purposeless, right? You're just waking up, going to work, coming home, going to bed, and repeat. If you relate to that, it's time to seek God for your purpose, for your destiny. The Spirit of God is in you for you. The Spirit of God is on you for the sake of others. What did God put that spirit on you to do in this world? Who is waiting on you to step up, to take back your power, to be everything that God designed you to be? There are people counting on you. And sometimes when we're living in lack, it's enough to get us desperate enough, discontented enough. Hmm, you mean God might use that discontent to lead us to something better? 
One more. When we're making that shift, we may shift from praying small prayers and dreaming small dreams that require no faith. See, it's easy just to wake up and go to work and come home and go to bed and do it all over again. I mean, you can live. You can eat. You find a way to eat. You can provide at a baseline when we're not praying any big prayers. We're not looking for the people that we can impact. Like when we talk about doing for the city, did it twice, going to do it two more times this year. Like some of you that sparks something in you because you're finding purpose and you're realizing maybe for the first time that God put something in you for other people. So there are challenges. Let's flip to the other side because there's also challenges to living in plenty. The challenge of falling into arrogant pride or selfish ambition. The challenge of being tempted to rely on self or forgetting your source, same one again, remember that? Crazy that totally different circumstances can lead to the same temptation. Isn't the devil tricky? We can be distracted from the great commission. Oh man, I'm living in plenty, life is good. Yeah, but are you still focused on what God said to be focused on? The temptation that material possessions and the love of money become more important than God. Right? Those are real. Another conclusion from all this. We must learn the secret of being content in want for ourselves. So that we don't get discouraged and depart our faith. How many know some people have gone through hard, hard stuff and it robbed them of their faith? Death, loss, pain, lack. So we've got to learn that Jesus is enough so that we don't get discouraged and depart of faith. We must learn complete reliance and trust in God that has nothing to do with our circumstances. We truly have to get to a place and learn that Jesus is enough. Everybody say, he is enough. But on the other side, we must also learn the secret of being content in plenty for those attached to our destiny so that we fulfill our purpose and our resource to be generous and spread the gospel without limitation. Jesus is enough. Always will be, always has been. He's enough. We've got to come to that place. We've got to know that I don't need anything beyond him and my salvation to know that he's enough. But does anybody notice, and we, we, we say this all the time, but we don't apply it here, is God a God of enough? Or is he a God of more than enough? Yes, he is. So now, I mean, make no mistake, Jesus is more than enough, Right? But salvation, spending eternity in heaven with the Father, that's more than enough, right? It it truly is more than enough. But destiny and purpose that God saved you and called you with a holy calling, not according to your works, but according to his own purpose and grace before the world began. When you're living in just enough, living in lack, it's going to be more challenging to fulfill your purpose. Now, 
again, we preached the balance two weeks ago, all right? The last two weeks. I'm preaching the other side. So don't be like, oh, Mark said it's all about being able to have money and give. No, it's all about the heart. Everybody say it's about the heart. But how many of you, you've learned some lessons of being in need, but you'd be okay with having a little more abundance. You'd be okay with being able to bless some people this holiday season in a way you never have before. It wasn't that long ago when Katie and I were struggling so much financially that some very good friends of her, they were in our wedding and been friends forever, they had to send us gift cards so that we could get our kids Christmas presents. It's one thing to be on the receiving end of that. It's another thing to be on the giving end. I've learned lessons from both sides of that. Some of you are friends with me on social media and you saw this trip I took my son on last weekend for his 13th birthday. It was fun. And we do this with all our kids. When they turn 13, we take them on a trip, a significant trip that is a milestone moment. And as much as all the stuff was fun, the conversations, like I had four pages of journaling, I was stacked and loaded for him. I was like, we're going to have these conversations. I'm going to talk about this. We'll make, and we actually got through most of it. And he was, it was great because we created space to have some conversations that we wouldn't otherwise have. But being able to go to the Bucks game at Monday Night Football and rent a cool sports car and be able to do that stuff, that was cool. But it's just tough. You know what matters most is my son having a heart after God. My daughter in the back seat on the way home last night from Ohio, and her and Hudson were watching Iron Man on the phone. And I, later, halfway through the movie, I started playing worship music up front. My daughter's watching Iron Man and singing worship music. I looked at my wife, I was like, parenting win. <laughs> it's the heart that matters. But is the stuff sometimes fun? Yeah, and that's okay. It's okay to get on that side because <coughs> we've got to learn to trust him there for ourselves in need, and we've got to learn to trust him in plenty for other people. How many think there's some people that you could impact if you were a little more resourced? It's not just about the money, but people need Jesus, and we got to get out there and go give it. For the city, that costs money. Having church on a Sunday morning, that costs money. Blessing people with the blessing boxes, which you should totally stop by and do that. I don't I think you can still do it. We can be resourced. And so we learn, we need to learn to trust God, period. Everybody say period. period. And need are in plenty. But here's the thing. The unfortunate reality is that these verses are often quoted by people living in scarcity and want as a justification, even a glorification of living in lack. And that, my friends, it is not God's will. I want you to be generous from the heart and give unto the Lord, but I want you to be able to be generous on every occasion, in every moment, in all things, and like without restriction, without limitation. How many want that? If so, say yes. Well, let's just make sure because these limiting beliefs, the scarcity thinking is pervasive in the body of Christ, but it's not biblical. 
If you want to jot down, here's several verses. John 10, 10, this is out of the Passion. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Everybody say more. More than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. Deuteronomy 8, 18. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he. Whose idea was this? God himself, for it is he who gives you the power. Again, that word power, power, there's power on the inside of you. I can do all things. That power says he's given you the power to create wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. See, wealth is a tool to leverage for God's glory. Wealth is not about you having all the nice stuff and doing all the nice things. God's fine with that. I'll give you some biblical foundation on that in a second. But it's about establishing his covenant. Bringing people into relationship with the Father. That's what wealth is for. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open... Man, I love the Bible. Love the Bible. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, when God says plans to prosper you, not to harm you, a hope and a future, do you think he's describing, I want you to live in lack and hunger and need for the rest of your days? Yes or no? No. No, he doesn't want that. It's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. No matter how many sermons or people you heard say it. How about one more? Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich. Other translations, or brings wealth. And he adds no sorrow with it. Does God have a problem with us living in plenty, yes or no? No, he does not. In fact, it is his design. It is his design. Giving comes from where? The heart. But can we impact more people and leverage our lives a little bit more for God's glory when we have resources without limitation? Now listen, not everybody here is going to be wealthy. I'm okay with that. Some of you just don't even have a desire. You are fine to serve and you are content. You are content. You're content. Is money more important than contentedness? No. No. And so don't, don't hear me saying everybody's got to be wealthy. I'm not saying that. Not even close to saying that. But the verse said, I can. So you, you can. If you want to. You don't have to. Not a requirement. You can get to heaven, you can impact people, you can serve people, you can love, 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 love. I mean, look at Mother Teresa, great example, right? Great example, legacy, 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 okay? So this is not a everybody has to be rich and you better start wanting to be rich. No, it's not that at all, but you can. Because that's what the Bible says. Not an opinion, just reading the Bible. Does everybody like the Bible? Like this is the authoritative word of God. So that's why I'm reading a lot of the Bible today. So having money is not an issue. It's only when money displaces Jesus at the center of our heart. That's the issue. Money, 
<coughs> you get nervous. Money itself is just a tool to leverage for God's glory. That's all it is. So, and, and here's the thing. When it comes to living in plenty, are there dangers to that? I mean, I, I listed out several. How many of you know some super wealthy people that they're not very happy? I mean, if you don't have your own evidence of that, some, some of you, you're like, man, I was living in lack and now I'm living in plenty and I'm still miserable on the inside. Because Jesus is what brings sustainable peace and contentment. Money can't touch that. Right? I mean, you look at the news headlines, how many of the rich and famous commit suicide? From Robin Williams to Kate Spade to Anthony Bourdain. Like, money does not bring happiness. So we've got to learn to trust him. Living in abundance and plenty without the secret of contentment is much more dangerous than living in lack and want. Let me say that again because this is important. Living in abundance and in plenty is more dangerous than living in lack and want and scarcity if you don't have contentment. So don't be hearing this message today and being like, I'm ready to live in plenty, but you ain't content yet. Which let's bring this to point number three, because this brings everything back into balance. The third essential component of the secret of contentment, number three, I must know my source, Jesus Christ himself. Let me read these same verses in the Amplified, just for emphasis, because it brings it all back to the clarity of, yeah, I can do a whole lot, and I gotta trust God beyond my circumstances, but all, everything, is about sufficiency in Christ. We never get away from that. We never abandon that. In the Amplified, it says, not that I speak from any personal need, for I have learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or uneasy. Man, what if we could grab hold of that in the body of Christ? That we're never disturbed or uneasy, no matter what the market does, no matter what our boss does, no matter what the economy does, no matter what variant. that we are not disturbed or uneasy, regardless of my circumstances. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. And I also, everybody say also, I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing life. Whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having an abundance or being in need, I can do all things, which he has called me to do, through him who strengthens and empowers me. To fulfill his purpose, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Everybody say it's all about Jesus. So, 
when it comes back to Jesus, that's our protection. My hope is that today, some of you might grab hold of a revelation that says it's okay to desire to be in plenty. Because God's word has nothing against that. That some of you might let go of this life sentence to living in want as a sign of your holiness. It's not, contentedness is not a life sentence to living in want. Contentedness, biblical contentedness, is beyond circumstances. Beyond the circumstances. And when your heart's safe, you're safe. Um, let's land this. So what do, you, what do you do with this message? So if you, like, you just gotta locate yourself here. I'm gonna give you like three categories. If you locate yourself and you're like, all right, I'm living in one, I'm living in need. I mean, that shouldn't be too difficult to lo locate ourselves. Which, by the way, unless you're like, man, I'm writing checks and adding zeros just because I feel like it. <laughs> there might be still some want there, right? Because are you able to be generous on every occasion, at all times, having everything you need, without restriction, right? So if you're living in want, what, what's the most important thing for you to learn? What's the lesson of that season? Learn the secret of being content, that you have to trust God beyond your circumstances. I'll tell you what, I, I did good at learning the lesson of trusting God, but you know where I missed it? Why I stayed in the want and need for so long was because I learned to trust him, but I didn't learn that I had to do my part. I was praying prayers and I was waiting for God to drop it out of heaven. I'm ready, God. Well, I wasn't doing my part. And so if you're in want, learn to trust God. Trust him, trust him. Stop holding out, waiting for your circumstances to change so that you can be happy. If you're waiting for a change of circumstances to increase your happiness, you might be staying in want for longer than you'd like because that's not how God does it. He wants you to be content in that place. And so that might just mean turning into him and seeking his face and getting in the word more and worshiping more and stopping watching the news. Because <gasps> you can do some things that lead to contentness. You can do some things that don't. So it, learn the lesson if you're there. Now, some of you, you're in that place of want, like I'm like, Okay, I've got limitation, restriction in my life when it comes to generosity and what I want to give and what I want to be able to do. But you can truly say you're there, but you're content. Boom! Oh, good, good job. Way to learn a lesson from God. Way to, like, way to not need stuff to be content. Because you don't ever want to be there. Because then you just need more stuff and more stuff and more stuff and more stuff. You've learned the secret, but you'd be okay with that 2 Corinthians 9 that we described of being generous on every occasion. How many would be okay with that? If so, say yes. So if you're there, content, but ready for plenty, here's what I would say to you. Begin to ask God, what's my part? 
what is holding me back from shifting from in want to in plenty? It is a heart thing. Is it a belief around money and scarcity? Have I been acting as if God, it's not your plan, your design, your desire for me to have plenty? And so I've been saying (coughs) in my head and in my heart, well, God doesn't want me to have money. But then I pray in my prayers, God, give me the money. But you're going to get what you believe, not what you want. So if you believe it's not God's will for you to have money, and I gave you a list of scriptures, that's just a starting point. Which, by the way, if you're there, could you do me a favor for your sake and get this book? This is the one that Bill and I wrote. Get the book because this right here is a handbook for what I'm preaching to you. It is a handbook to look at, identify where you're at. It'll help you identify those limiting beliefs, that scarcity thinking that is not biblical. And a friend of mine, he read it and he was like, Mark, I never knew. He's like, I knew that it was true that God desired me to live in abundance, but I couldn't put a chapter and a verse to it. I couldn't have broke it down in the Bible. And we do that in here in detail. If you can't afford the book, it's on Amazon. I will give you one if you really can't afford it. Don't be working your pastor now. You can't lie in church. But I want you to get a revelation that can change your life. So ask God, what's my part? Things I need to do, things I need to stop doing, people I need to stop getting around. Is there a business I need to start? Like I'm all about saving and, and, and working extra to be able to pay off debt. But when I heard someone say, the first, if you're in debt and you're a believer, the first thing you need to do is start a business because that's how the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous through the marketplace. And I was like, wow, I never heard that. And then I started a business and like, wouldn't you know it? God's word works. And now I'm in a place where I can be generous in ways I never could before. Okay, so if you're there, ask God, what's my part? And then the last category, maybe you're in a measure of plenty. Now you still have some restriction because you can't just add zeros at a whim. But how many know what it was to be in lack and want? Everybody just say yes. Okay, that's everybody, thank you. But now you're in a different place And you know what? There's tests that you need to pass in that place. Is your heart still surrendered to God? Is the Great Commission still a priority for you? Are you relying on him more than on your ability to produce? Have you become, here's a big one, have you become comfortable in the level of plenty that you have, and so you've stopped praying big prayers and praying, praying big prayers and dreaming big dreams to impact more people. Because remember what I said, we've got to learn to be content in need for ourselves, for our faith, for our relationship, but we've got to learn to be in plenty for those attached to our destiny. Are the people attached to your destiny being impacted by you living in plenty? Those are real questions that we all need to answer if, if you've made that shift. So here's a question for you. What if... 2022 was a year of plenty. Woo! He's had me turned up because of my throat. Thank you, Lenny. Sorry about that. You saw me hesitate. I was like, can I pull out one more woohoo? I think I could. This is the whole, like, I can do all things. 
through Christ, but like I was reading 2 Corinthians 9 of like, in my weakness, he's made strong because I don't have much of a voice. Thus he gets all the glory. What if 2022 was a year of plenty like you've never known? What could you do for the kingdom? What could you do for people in need? How could you shine the light of Christ in different ways that never even been an option? Now, 2022 needs to be a year that we all choose generosity, period. Because generosity comes from where? The heart. But if you're ready, it is possible for you to make the shift from in need to in plenty and still have joyful, full, overflowing contentedness because that's God's design. If, if Father Abraham is our model, and he is, our father of faith, he was blessed. It all started with an intimate connection with Father God, a covenant relationship, but he was blessed financially, he was blessed in his family, he was blessed in influence and reputation, he was blessed. That is the fullness of the blessing. Go read Deuteronomy 28, if you're not already, because God designed you to live in plenty. Why don't you stand to your feet? If you missed the last two weeks, go back and watch them, podcast or on Facebook. But how many of you, you know, let me do two things here. What's the most important thing of everything I've said today? It's that Jesus is enough. He's he's more than enough. That there's a God-shaped void on the inside of all of us. Until we find Jesus, and I don't care if your world is crashing down all around you, he's still enough. Circumstances don't need to change. Your finances don't need to change. Your body doesn't need to be healed. Like Jesus in a moment becomes enough because that's an eternal decision. It's forever. That's the most important thing, and it's got to be your decision. So I want everybody to bow your heads. And if you're here today and you've never made that decision to trust Jesus completely, maybe you've had some hard stuff over the last 18 months, some losses, some setbacks, and you've been looking for hope, can I tell you there's no greater hope than Jesus. There's no greater joy, no greater peace, because he can satisfy your soul in a way that nothing in this world can. No, no money, no experience, no relationship. Jesus can bring peace and fullness and wholeness to your soul. A joy beyond circumstances. But he can't bring that to you unless you make a decision. Remember, you can do all things. And so you have to make the decision. I can't make that for you. And so if you're here today and you feel far from God, maybe that gap of, oh, I just feel tired. I feel like people have forgotten about me. I feel like I don't matter anymore. I feel like God's forgotten me. Whatever it is, can I tell you, he hasn't forgotten you. He got you in this room, in this moment, right now, in this moment, for you to come home, for you to make a decision to make him Lord of your life, to make him everything, to trust him with everything. And so if that's you, God, I'm praying you just give him courage to respond right now, to choose you, to trust you, if that's you right now in this moment, everybody's head's bowed and I'm just gonna pray for you right where you're at, but you're, you're ready to trust him, to find hope in him and nothing else.
because he's enough. If that's you on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm gonna pray for you. One, two, three. I'm seeing one hand, so we're praying. Hallelujah. Anyone else? Got to raise them up enough so I can see. Awesome. See a couple hands. Praise God. Hallelujah. Several hands. I think three hands. All right, we're going to pray this together, and I want you to pray it. If you're already a believer, pray it again just to remind yourself that he's everything. Say, dear Jesus, (laughs) thank you for loving me. Just the way I am. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins so that I could be saved. I believe that Jesus died, that he rose again so that I could be in relationship with you. I believe it and I receive now Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Say, devil, I'm not yours. You can't touch me. I'm a child of the king. I'm living for him in full joy. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Come on. (laughs) All right, last prayer. Wrap this up quick. If you're ready for a year of plenty, not even a year. Listen, this is your birthright. It's your birthright according to the covenant. So if you're ready to live in plenty, throw your hands up. I'm gonna pray over you right now. God, I thank you. I thank you for a revelation, God, that we can, we were designed to live in plenty so that we can establish your covenant. So that others can know the hope of Jesus. And God, I thank you right now in this room that you are shifting generational mindsets that we don't have a life sentence to scarcity and want, but God, you created us for abundance and plenty for your glory. And so God, I thank you in this room that you're giving creative ideas, that as they ask that question, God, of what's my part, God, you're gonna give business ideas and decisions and habits, and God, you're gonna show them the path to trust you beyond their circumstances. And God, I thank you that our hearts are secure and surrendered in Jesus You're everything to us, Father. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, God, we we trust in you and you alone. But God, we desire to leverage our lives, our generosity for your glory. Help us to do it, God. Make 2022 a year like we've never known before for your glory. And we give you praise for it in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen.